Hey fellow NDE fans, we have some exciting things coming up on the other side, but we could really use your help and support to keep going with this channel. Our outreach team works around the clock, making sure to bring you the best NDE stories that we can find. But now we're looking to expand into other countries to get near-death experiences from around the globe. However, we need your help and support to make this happen. This is why we're introducing our YouTube membership program. Get access to exclusive ad-free episodes that haven't been on YouTube. Watch and participate in live Q&As with the guests. Engage directly with us and NDEers. Participate in giveaways and live events. And most importantly, you will ensure our channel's continuous efforts to seek out and uncover these important experiences worldwide. Support us by hitting the Join Now button below. Thank you for your continued viewership and support. Your help will make a difference, and we look forward to building our community together with you. Hello, my name is Cara Marlene, and I was miraculously healed generational breast cancer when I was almost 33. And it was from that miraculous event in my life, I was able to put into perspective everything that had happened to me since I was eight years old and I had a near-death experience. You see, until I was miraculously healed, I didn't really understand the way that the universe worked. I didn't understand what connection I had. And that connection and understanding came from when I was eight years old. And I'd like to share that with you now. And to do that, I have to tell you a little bit about myself. So I was born and raised on a small ranch in Kansas. And... I have seven siblings. I am the seventh of eight children. So altogether there's eight. I'm the seventh born. And I was always different. And we'll get into that in another episode. But this day was the day that changed my life forever. And I was riding bikes with my youngest sister, actually. And the older two were in the house with my mother. I was eight, as I said, and my little sister was five. And we had been playing all day, and it was a warm spring day with wide blue skies with big, puffy cotton candy clouds. And the breeze was cool as we rode around the back roads of the county and our backyards and around my father's uh, construction equipment and the sheds and things. And it was late morning and my sisters, as sisters do, screamed at us to get into the house because it was time to eat. And I wasn't a bad child, but I was, of course, a little ornery. And so before I went in, I wanted to take one more round just to see you know, just to spite. And I remember I had this special bike. It was white wheeled and white bodied and there was like pink and purple paint on it. And there were tassels on the end that were matching and there was even a basket. And I had recently had my training wheels taken off. So I thought I was doing really well. And I had been to a friend's house and I had seen 
what we would understand to be BMX bikers. And I thought it was just amazing because it felt like I could feel their freedom that they were feeling and almost like a rebellious edge to them. And so of course, in that opportunity to be rebellious as well, I wanted to do my own kind of BMXing to kind of spite. And so I remembered there was a water lip in the really large garage next to or attached to the barn that we had all the cattle in to give birth or to train for 4-H to show and, and whatnot. But that tool shed was uh, really long and very deep and where my father kept all of his construction. He owned a construction company, so he had like uh, nails and hammers and all sorts of things like air compressors and things like that that I didn't know how to use at the time. But that's where that was, and the lights were off. But I knew in that garage there was a, a water lip that went all the way on the bottom of it. It was like four by four by four, right? And it kept the the water from running into the garage, even when the door was shut. And so, in that water lip was a gouge, like a triangle. It's about as wide as a grown man's palm. And I thought that was going to be the perfect ramp. So I was on top of the hill by the house and I kicked off and I started riding my bike as fast as I could across the gravel and I was going so fast like the bumps of the gravel kind of like um, smoothed out and I could feel that breeze my bike my favorite thing about bike riding even to this day is the breeze on your face and your skin and the warmth of the sun and it felt like flying it is the closest thing to flying I could get. And so as I went as fast as I could down into that shop and I hit that bump in my head, I was going to hit that bump and I was going to catch air and I was going to turn my wheels around and skid to a stop and wave to my sisters and triumph. And that didn't happen. And my bike stopped and I went over the handlebars. And as I lifted off, as my body lifted off the seat, there was this sensation of flying, like weightlessness, right? And then this, in a split second, like in a snap, my awareness that I know to be awareness now opened up full throttle. And I could see feel, touch, taste, everything. I was connected to not just everything around me, but the world, the universe, the galaxies, like everything. Like it just, there was no separation. I knew that now to be oneness, but it just felt like something just kind of opened up in me. And it was a split second because I only had a few breaths, like a breath until from that flying, my awareness opening up and hearing, not necessarily feeling, my head hit that cement with a sickening thud. Like to this day, I literally can almost feel it here as I'm talking about it. And that echo and that it was not a crack, it was a thud. Like that thud, you 
know something really bad happened. And I felt my body, I knew my body had crumbled on itself. And I remember hearing this really soft sigh and then blackness. And I remember coming to, and I was on my back. So I was laying on my back. And I remember I was trying to blink myself awake because everything was so bright. And when I could focus a little bit better, I could see the rectangle of light pouring in from what I thought to be the garage. And then just darkness around because, I mean, the lights were off in the garage. And so that kind of made sense. But what took all of my attention was the fact that I wasn't just laying down. I was trying to feel into my body. I was trying to feel into where I was because I realized quickly I couldn't move. Like my body weighed a thousand pounds. Like it, it was almost like I wasn't connected to it anymore. I was just in it, existing in it. And I knew that I could blink because I was blinking, right? And I knew I could probably speak, um, but I couldn't move anything else. So I became panicky. And I looked up and I saw this the blinding light coming into the garage and I was looking for help and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see, and I should have seen things. I should have seen the 30-foot cattle trailer that's black and silver. I should have seen the tall hay barn, the square hay barn. And I should have seen the, the big mounds of large hay bales there. Like I should have seen the sky. I should have seen all of these things, but I couldn't. It was too bright. It was, it was odd. And all of a sudden I saw a figure in that rectangle of light. And I couldn't tell if it was male or female because it was so bright, it made it blurry, but I could see the silhouette. And I thought it was my sister. She obviously would have seen what happened and then she would have come, right? And so uh, I spoke to her and I said, of course I'm going to move, but I, I moved my mouth and said, you need to help me. I, I need help. I'm, I'm really hurt. Like I can't move. You need to get mom and dad. I need help. And they didn't move. And so I began to panic and I began to get angry. And I told them that mom and dad are going to be so mad at you. I need help. I, I need you to help me. Like, you're going to be in so much trouble. I need you to get help. Go get mom and dad. And still that figure just did not move. And as my panic started to rise, there was another part of me that almost started to observe like what really was around me, kind of take in things with like a sixth sense. And that overwhelmed my panic for just a few minutes. And I took my eyes away from that figure and I was able to see or take in and observe that darkness that I thought to be the garage with the lights off. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that wasn't darkness. It was blackness, like the blackness of space, vast and wide and endless and without shape or form. But it was holding me up. Something was holding me up. But there was nothing there. And then my eyes went back to the rectangle of light. And I didn't look back at the figure. What I looked at was the light. And I realized that there was a reason I couldn't see through it. It wasn't sunlight. It was life itself. 
it was light and life itself. And once that clicked, I knew I was not where I thought I was. Like I was not in my family home. It looked like the garage door. It looked like the darkness of the garage and it felt like the floor, but it looked, it felt like it changed. Like everything around me had a truth to it that I was just now starting to understand. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not here anymore, am I? And I remember looking at the figure and I remember saying to it, am I dead? Is this dying? And is this what they think heaven is? And what I meant by that was all the my parents, the churches and things like that. Was that what this is? When I said that, it's like something burst from a depth of me I didn't even know existed. Like this endless, vast space inside and pure love just joy and peace just absolutely expanded through me from me it within me i couldn't even put it into words but it's like it just shot out and filled everything and i was overwhelmed i then knew that where i was had no fear it wasn't fearless it was fear free. There was no time. This was pure existence in love's truest form. This is where life and death, light and dark began and ended. And love held all of it together because it was made from pure love. And I looked back at the figure and without using my words this time, I discovered my inner voice. And with that inner voice, I said, what now? And that figure, there's a voice I heard, and I knew it came from that figure. And it said, are you ready? And I said, yes. I know a lot of people have like life reviews, right? I was eight. And so briefly, I thought of my mother, my father, my siblings, and I thought of my animals, my dogs, my cats, and, and whatnot. And I said, yes, yes, I'm ready. And it's almost like I fell into that vastness, that welling space, that abundant, everlasting wellspring of just love. I fell into it from the inside. It's almost like I just fell into it. And as I did so, there was a moment right before blackness where it felt like I, I went through a, a force field where fear could exist. And I believe, like it's almost like I knew the existence where fear was not. And then there was this like moment before I blacked out or before darkness. And it was like I, I went into a realm where fear could exist. And then it was dark. And I remember waking up hours later with my mother and no, it was days. Yeah. Because I was in a, what they call a walking coma. 
And I had been, I don't know how, because time didn't exist, but between that moment when that blackness happened and when I woke up, I don't remember any of that. Like, I don't remember getting up. I don't remember people finding me. I don't remember um, being on the couch. I don't remember any of those things. And I remember coming to in a conversation with my mother that I didn't know I was having. I didn't know what we were talking about. But I said, what happened and where am I? And why do I have a mirror in my hand? And wasn't I outside? And she looked at me like I was crazy. She's And she had very little patience. And so she tried to explain that there was an accident and whatnot. I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? And so anyway, she just got frustrated and left. And uh, anyhow, I had a mirror in my hand. And I remember I could see this part of my face, like this, the, the round part of my face. And I remember tilting it. And as it crested my eyebrow into my hairline, if you cut an orange in half and you put it on a second grader's head, that's what my forehead looked like. It had swollen out. The sickest purple you'd ever seen. And so that's when I remember being in a room with a doctor and I remember seeing my head scan. And I remember he was really mad at my mother because he's like, what? why did you wait so long? What are you doing? My mother was raised on principles of the pioneers. And so, you know, rubbed dirt on it. And anyhow, um, he said, if she gets hit there in her head again, she'll die. I don't know how she made it. She shouldn't be alive. But if she gets hit there again, she'll die. And so after that, I was so different than everyone else. That love that I had experienced in my near-death experience, that place, that dwelling place, never went away. Like it stayed. And it seemed that it was an, it's like my cup was always overflowing. I wanted to love everyone. I looked at everyone in unconditional love and I wanted to connect with them and I wanted to love on animals. And I had this beautiful drive to be with animals and to share this love and my experience with everyone. And it was not well received. And so I found that it was much easier and much safer not to say anything. So I found myself out in nature, alone with the divine, and I would work through things, and I would reconnect with that oneness, that presence, either outside in nature or with animals or in my, my room where it was safer, right? And as I grew older, I had these experiences I thought everyone kind of had, and they happened over and over and over again. And it reconnected me with the voice inside and it encouraged me to use that connection to tap into my self-love because I really had to fight for my faith and that connection with the divine, right? And so that developed through my childhood into my young adulthood on top of all the other miraculous or magical coincidences that happened, right? And I don't mean magical like you bippity bobbity boo, but like these were coincidences that were so moving and so powerful you just couldn't deny them. And it crescendoed the day that I was instantaneously 
and miraculously healed from third generation genetic breast cancer a week before my 33rd birthday. So to briefly put this into perspective, because I go over this in, in my book, like I wrote all of this down, I share it in, in full detail, but it was a week before my 33rd birthday and it was 2017, but the year before my mother and my father had both been diagnosed with generational cancer. So their parents died of cancer. Both of my parents were diagnosed with cancer the same year. And then I was supposed to get tested for both a, a BRCA2 gene mutation and a cancer itself, right? And I ended up being positive for the gene mutation that gives me a 75% chance right now, 32, 33, of getting all of the killer cancers, breast, ovarian, things like that. And then in the exam room, they found bilateral breast lumps. And those breast lumps I found out were not just lumps, like cylindrical lumps, or they were by definition, because I could feel them. Like one of them was so far out and so big, it was about the, the digit of my pinky finger, and I could feel it. And so I was diagnosed, and I had three days before my emergency lumpectomy. 3D mammogram ultrasound for the lumpectomy. So things happened in those three days. I was approached by friends who, after I told about my fate and what I was going through and how I needed help, they said that they were going to lay hands on me and pray. And I'd seen that and known that before. It didn't really work, but I didn't want to deny that. And so I allowed them and it was beautiful, but nothing happened. And then that next day, Saturday, I reached out to everyone I knew to get help for the journey I was about to go on. And I found myself that night after being just having to deal with the absolute terror, because it's terrifying. It was just absolutely terrifying. And because it's, it's literally the only word is terror. And calling everyone and asking for help because I'm not a person that does that. I was just exhausted on Saturday night. So I found myself in a place where I was alone in my room, very much like when I was a child and things were just so tumultuous in my home. It was a very unsupportive, toxic family unit and even the community I was raised in. So I needed that space alone. And so I found myself there at night looking at a window like I used to do as a child. And I found this stillness fill that room like it used to when I was a kid, where I would connect back with the divine with love and I would ask questions and find answers there and find comfort and peace. And I ended up asking, pleading for help because I didn't know what to do. I knew the path I had before me that my family had gone through, like generations. And I knew what a double bilateral breast cancer meant, like not just one, but both sides. And the 75% chance of getting that those cancers and then they find the lumps. It just, I knew that path. I knew what I had to face and I knew what it meant. But I also knew what my brothers said and I knew the power of love, the power of God, spirit, guy, whatever you want to call it, could do anything. But I didn't know what to do. 
And so I pleaded. I said, I know you're good. I just, I need you to be here like you have before. I need you to show up. I need you to tell me what to do. And I was guided through Bible verses, one, faith like a child. And the second was to go before a church like they did in biblical times and to have people lay hands and pray over you. And I definitely thought I heard that wrong because, again, like I said, as a child, that didn't work. And with my brothers, it didn't work. And so I waited for something else to come up and nothing did. So that Sunday, I went to a church and I laid aside my past experiences with this church where I had been rejected because I stood up for what I believed to be truth. And I went before them and I said, I was told I have breast cancer and I was also told that I was to go and have people lay hands and pray on me. And they were shocked because they made it very clear that I was I was not to come, not necessarily to come back, but I just wasn't welcome. And so they tentatively agreed. Music started. And what happened was the pastor wife came over, laid hands on me with everyone that she had anointed with the power of God and miracles and healing, which she said could only come from her, like no one else could have it because only she and her husband could give it because they were apostles and they were anointed by God, which is one of the reasons why I didn't feel comfortable in the church and I spoke out against that. But I wanted to be open, so I allowed them to come over and lay hands on me and pray so you kind of understand the situation. And so I was open and I tried my best to stay open and the longer they were there, the harder I cried. They stayed there for songs and I just felt nothing. And so eventually they left me and I was weeping in the front pew and I had two hands left on me and they were my friends. But one of them was my friends, Chris. I knew he was praying for strength and love and peace for me. He said he was going to do that before, but there was another hand on the small of the middle of my back. And I remember going back into that dwelling place of the divine in me that I had known since I was a kid that I had heard the Bible verses from. And I said, I still know you're good. I know you're good. And I know the path I'm supposed to take now. And I know with you, I can face anything because you will give me the faith and the strength to get through it. So whatever your will is, I accept. And the moment I accept left my lips, a palm with the beam of power left that hand on the left side of my back, the middle of my back, and it beelined through my chest cavity, split into two, covered one breast lump and then the other and hovered there for songs. And I, everything else faded. I just took in everything that was happening. Like my inner vision, awareness, everything. And so many things happened, but eventually it dissipated into me. And when I say it, I mean this power felt like 
the essence of love itself from my near-death experience. Everything I knew there, life and death, light and dark, love. And as I came out of that moment, I realized I had been repeating something over and over again. And I finally took in what it was and I kept repeating, I accept this, I accept this, I accept this. And I knew something had happened. And so that next day was Monday. And so I found myself in the waiting room. And so I was called back to the mammogram. And I walk into the room and there's a woman in the, in the back and she has a chart in her hand and she's looking through it like she's frustrated or, or flustered. She can't find something. She's wrestling through something on her desk. And I declare my throat to get her attention. And she looks over her glasses at me and says, thanks for coming in. Uh, where are your lumps? And I couldn't wrap my head around what was happening. So I just kept mumbling. And I kind of pointed to this, the places where... Uh, the breast lumps were, I knew, I knew they were. And I mean, they measured me and things like that. And so I was still confused, but uh, I kept doing that until she just snapped the chart closed and said, she's just going to scan everything. And so she did. And I went back into the waiting room and I waited for about seven, maybe 15 minutes. And I walked into the ultrasound room. And again, there was a nurse in the back and she had a chart in her hand and she was trying to flip through it. And then she'd look at the screen, she'd zoom in on something and she'd zoom out and then she'd flip through things. And then she'd look back and she was looking on the desk too. And I had to clear my throat to get her attention as well. And she leaned around the ultrasound machine and said, oh, uh, welcome in. Um, where are your breast lumps? And I had enough time to gather myself and I gave her a very clipped reply summing up that she needs to find it herself because that's her job and I don't know what's going on here but she needs to do that and of course she snapped the chart closed which I can understand now I probably would be frustrated too and she did the ultrasound um after she said well we're just going to scan everything then and like I said she did the ultrasound a bit too roughly in my personal opinion but she told me that the doctor would be in in just a moment to finalize everything. And so I was prepping to be, you know, numbed and cut open for them to take out those breast lumps, send them off to get tested. And I had maybe five to seven minutes and this short doctor came into the room and introduced himself and said, as he patted my knee, thank you for coming in this car. We'll see you when you're 40 and tries to leave the room. I had a few milliseconds and I just lost my mind. So I jumped off the table, stopped him, turned him around and shook him and said, I don't know what's going on here, but you've lost these lumps. There are two of them. Now, if you can't find them with an ultrasound and a 3D mammogram, you're going to poke around, you're going to find them, you're going to take them out, you're going to send them off and you're going to tell me I don't have cancer. And this poor man <laughs> took a few minutes to compose himself and he shook me loose, took my shoulders in turn, shook me just a little bit and said, ma'am, I don't know what you're talking about, but we've done, we've done every scan that we need to. 
to find any lumps you have, but there are no lumps. There's nothing to find. And he turned around and left the room. And I stood there staring at where he was for a long while until I stumbled back and I sat on the table and I, with trembling hands, placed my hands on my left breast where I had felt that breast lump, the pinky-sized, ground-to-a-point, hard breast lump that both the doctor, the nurse, and I had found. I found that space, and I pressed down, and a pinky-whipped crater in my rib cage and a bruised sensation was the only evidence anything was ever there. And after that, I was changed. I was different. And that sent me on a journey to where I am today. And I wrote my book and my book came from this overwhelming desire to reconnect with love. And all of those times that love had proven itself over and over again to me came to my mind, flooded my mind, and would not leave it alone until I literally put a paper on a wall with my timeline of my life, and I put all of them down. And that showed me a pattern, and from that pattern showed me a purpose. And my book is my story of love's unrelented pursuit of me to prove over and over again that it's real and it loves me and it wants so desperately for me to know how special I am. And in turn, for me, not just writing my book, but sharing this story and hopefully in me doing this, I can inspire others to understand and know just how special they are too and just how much love loves them. And that power within us, every one of us, is here for us to live a life of true freedom and to tap into that and follow it, I have found to be the only life of true freedom. And I'm hoping to encourage and inspire more people to find that love within themselves, that self-love, that love, and to live from it. And that is my purpose. And so in turn, you... Everyone listening is my purpose as well. Because I've done many things, and I share that in my book, but nothing feels as right as connecting with those who are on that journey too, or to inspire others to maybe start their own journey of realizing who they are, how powerful love is, because really, that's all our purpose, in my personal opinion. And all we're all doing is holding each other's hands and walking each other home. 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 So thank you so much for listening, being here. Thank you for your time. It means everything to me. Thank you.